How do you create a new country? Stupid question, right? Well, it's actually very complicated and doesn't have a single answer. Some point to the 1933 Montevideo Convention on the Rights and Duties of States as having set out the benchmark for founding a nation. According to the declarative theory of statehood promoted by the Montevideo Convention, a state requires four criteria to become sovereign. A permanent population, a defined land territory, a functional government, and the ability to enter into relations with other states. Of course, if it was that simple, more countries would probably exist. In reality, most definitions of statehood follow the constitutive theory, which stipulates that states require recognition from all or some of the rest of the world. The most common benchmark for statehood under the constitutive theory is membership in the United Nations. There are 193 member states of the UN, as well as two non-member observer states that are not members for different reasons. The Vatican City is universally recognized, but isn't a member of the UN in order to maintain neutrality, while the state of Palestine is recognized by 138 UN member states, but isn't a member because three of the permanent Security Council members, the US, the UK, and France, don't recognize it. The most recent country to acquire UN membership, and the country generally cited as the newest in the world, is South Sudan, which gained independence from Sudan in 2011 following the Second Sudanese Civil War. Kosovo, which declared independence from Serbia in 2008, is generally considered the second newest nation in the world, but we have already run into yet another complication. See, despite being recognized by 101 UN members, including the US, Kosovo is not a UN member due to opposition from the other two permanent Security Council members, China and Russia. In the same neighborhood, in 2006, the country of Serbia and Montenegro split into, get this, Serbia and Montenegro. A couple years earlier, in 2002, East Timor gained independence from Indonesia following a bloody civil war. And in the very near future, we may see a new country come into existence in a similar way. In 2019, 98% of voters in the autonomous region of Bougainville voted to become independent from Papua New Guinea. The autonomous region of Bougainville is a collection of self-governing islands in the east of Papua New Guinea, which has long sought its independence. This referendum made it abundantly clear that Bougainvillians wish to become independent, and it is now being cited as a groundbreaking precedent for the Pacific independence movements of West Papua and New Caledonia from Indonesia and France, respectively. The Chinese government was quick to address the results, celebrating Bougainville's newfound independence and pledging to incorporate the islands into China's Belt and Road Initiative. However, there is a catch to the success of the referendum. The referendum is entirely non-binding. Therefore, it is up to the Bougainvillian and Papua New Guinean governments to negotiate and come to an agreement on Bougainville's future. And for the time being, it seems like Papua New Guinea is pushing back on the independence movement. 
Although Papua New Guinean Prime Minister James Marape has acknowledged the referendum's results and called for open dialogue with Bougainvillians, he also expressed concerns that Bougainvillian independence would open the floodgates for other autonomous regions of Papua New Guinea to succeed as well. Additionally, doubts were cast on the integrity of the referendum, as roughly half of Bougainvillians are illiterate. Nevertheless, the ratification of the referendum results is set to begin later in 2023, and there is a tentative agreement between the two parties for Bougainville to become independent between 2025 and 2027. Yet, even though Bougainville's independence process is likely going to be a bureaucratic nightmare, most Bougainvillians see the current situation as preferable to the past situation. That's because Bougainville was once the site of the deadliest armed conflict in Oceania since World War II. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 81st episode of this podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara, Lisa Chase, and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. In 1766, French naval admiral Louis-Antoine de Bougainville, who would later sail south from Monmouth County, New Jersey to fight in the Battle of the Chesapeake during the American Revolution, received permission from King Louis XV to circumnavigate the earth. Two years later, in late 1768, Bougainville was sailing to New Guinea from the Solomon Islands when he came across a chain of small islands. Bougainville was perplexed by the islands, whose population more closely resembled Aboriginal Australians than New Guineans or Solomon Islanders. The largest of these islands was named Bougainville after the man who discovered it. For over a century, Bougainville and its surrounding islands were mostly left alone, until 1886, when New Guinea and the Solomon Islands were split between the German Empire and the British Empire, respectively. Despite being in closer proximity to the Solomon Islands, Bougainville and its surrounding islands were incorporated into German New Guinea. During this time, German Catholic missionaries were successful in converting most Bougainvillians to Catholicism. The effects of this can still be seen today, as over 70% of Bougainvillians are Catholic. During World War I, German New Guinea was captured by Australia, and after the war, the territory became a League of Nations mandate under Australian control. During World War II, Bougainville experienced a brutal Japanese invasion and occupation before being liberated in 1945 by Allied troops. It is estimated that roughly a quarter of Bougainvillians were killed over the course of the war. In 1949, Bougainville was incorporated into the Australian-administered territory of Papua New Guinea. 
Almost 30 years of much-needed peace followed this incorporation, but violence would eventually return once Papua New Guinea declared its own independence. In 1975, following pressure from the United Nations, the Parliament of Australia passed the Papua New Guinea Independence Act, granting independence to the territory of Papua New Guinea. Around this time, vast reserves of copper were discovered in Bougainville by Bougainville Copper Limited, a subsidiary of the UK and Australia-based mining corporation Rio Tinto. In 1972, Bougainville Copper Limited set up the largest open pit mine in the world, in the Bougainvillean town of Panguna. For an island as remote and impoverished as Bougainville, the Panguna mine was a, well, gold mine. However, Bougainvillians soon realized that they weren't the ones receiving the profits from the mine, as most of the mine's revenue was going to the Papua New Guinean government and Rio Tinto. Combine this with concerns from Bougainvillians over the water and air pollution caused by the mine, and it is pretty clear why resentment of the Papua New Guinean government flourished in Bougainville. Additionally, Bougainvillians were already starting to see themselves as ethnically, culturally, and especially racially distinct from New Guineans, as Bougainvillians generally have a substantially darker skin tone than New Guineans. As a result, animosity grew in Bougainville against New Guineans, referred to as Redskins, and Australian expats, referred to as Whiteskins. A growing secessionist movement called for Bougainville to leave Papua New Guinea and become part of the Solomon Islands, the residents of which were seen as more ethnically similar to Bougainvillians. This plan came to fruition in September of 1975, shortly after Papua New Guinea gained independence, when Bougainville Island, Buka Island, and other outlying atolls declared independence from Papua New Guinea as the Republic of the North Solomons. With the unwavering support of the Catholic Church, Bougainvillians seized the Panguna Mine from the so-called Redskins and Whiteskins. Almost a year later, in August of 1976, Papua New Guinean troops retook the North Solomons without a fight. Though this episode ended without bloodshed, it would set the stage for a deadly conflict over the future of Bougainville. Following the New Solomons debacle, the Papua New Guinean government agreed to grant further regional autonomy to Bougainville, temporarily satiating the island's secessionist movement. In early 1988, a group of Bougainvillean secessionists, led by disgruntled Panguna mine worker Francis Ona, established the Bougainville Revolutionary Army. The BRA began carrying out acts of sabotage against the Panguna mine, demanding the transfer of the mine to Bougainvillean control. On December 1st, 1988, a date often cited as the start of the Bougainville conflict, an attack by the BRA irreparably destroyed the mine's power supply. Fed up with constant attacks, Rio Tinto resolved to close the Panguna mine and never return to Papua New Guinea. The mine would later be demolished in May of 1989. In response, the Papua New Guinean military was deployed to Bougainville in a punitive expedition against the BRA. 
A civil war had begun, and the next few years would see severe human rights violations at the hands of both Papua New Guinea and the BRA, including the indiscriminate burning and looting of Bougainvillean villages. The conflict quickly got out of hand even for Bougainvillean secessionists, who lost control of the situation and became unable to enforce the rule of law over the islands. The power was instead usurped by criminal gangs known as Roskols, who were, interestingly, usually armed with World War II-era weaponry. Roskols were infamous for their pillaging of cities and villages, as well as for the systematic use of wartime rape as a means of initiation for new members. Sexual violence remains a critical issue in Bougainville, as, according to a 2013 UN study, 59% of men in the islands admit to having committed spousal rape, 41% admit to having raped a non-partner, and 14% admit to having committed gang rape. Over the course of the Bougainville conflict, as many as 20,000 people were killed, while over 60,000 were forced to flee to refugee camps. Then, the Sandline Affair took place. On February 10th, 1997, news broke that Papua New Guinean President Julius Chan had contracted British private military company Sandline International, led by Falklands War and the Troubles veteran Tim Spicer, to put down the BRA rebellion. This move was met with near-universal condemnation, especially from Papua New Guinean soldiers whose salaries were already being withheld due to budget cuts. In response, on March 16, 1997, the Papua New Guinean military staged a revolt, arresting the Sandline mercenaries and ordering Chan to resign within 48 hours. Chan refused, instead replacing military commander Jerry Singiruk with the notoriously brutal colonel Alfred Aikung. Violent riots by both soldiers and civilians persisted for one week until Chan finally stepped down and Sandline mercs were withdrawn from Bougainville. Sandline was dissolved soon afterwards and Spicer went on to establish Aegis Defense Services, which acted as a consulting firm for Disney Cruise Line before once again engaging in mercenary work during the Iraq War. Chan's successor as Papua New Guinean president, Bill Skate, came into office on a platform of peacefully resolving the Bougainville issue. After a ceasefire was called, peace talks mediated by New Zealand, Australia, Fiji, and Vanuatu were held throughout the remainder of 1997. This culminated in the signing of the Lincoln Agreement, which set the framework for a gradual Papua New Guinean withdrawal from Bougainville in January of 1998. On April 20th, 1998, the last of these troops left Bougainville, finally ending the war. In 2002, the autonomous region of Bougainville was established as a self-governing subdivision of Papua New Guinea. Francis Ona's forces refused to abide by the peace accords, continuing to occupy the area surrounding the Panguna mine, but this dissident campaign ended when Ona died of malaria in 2005. In recent years, some have speculated that Rio Tinto covertly supported and funded the civil war, seeking to have the mine reopened. Rio Tinto has denied these allegations. Regardless, the trek towards Bougainvillean independence continues to this day, slowly but surely.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I certainly enjoyed writing it. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.